0: Hello and welcome to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. The last conference preview of the preseason is here and it is the Big Ten. Joining me for his annual visit to the show to discuss every team in the conference is the great Dave Revson from BTN. Michigan is the defending Big Ten champion, but Ohio State is once again the favorite to win the conference behind an offense that should be spectacular. Can new coordinator Jim Knowles shore up the Buckeyes defense? What can Michigan and Michigan State for that matter do to follow up their surprising 2021 breakouts? The West looks as competitive as ever. Scott Frost faces a make or break season as Nebraska's coach, and Wisconsin gives it another go with quarterback Graham Burns. One of a couple of reminders before we get to the show, our conversation with Dave, as it has been with several of our preview podcasts, was recorded in advance, so if there are any small nuggets of updated information that we missed, you know why. But we covered the big stuff. Thanks for listening to the AP Top 25 College Football Podcast. You can find us at appodcast.com, where you can also find my colleague Rob Motti's excellent NFL podcast. You can also find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all the wonderful places, the usuals, where you get your pods. If you like what you hear, please take a minute to give us a good review and rating. It helps more college football fans find us. It helps us find more college football fans, and away we go. It's become an annual tradition. The Big Ten Preview with Dave Revson from the Big Ten Network. The great Dave Revson, uh, one of the best in the business, got a chance to catch up with Dave in Chicago at Big Ten Media Days. There's a lot going on in the Big Ten these days, but we will keep it on the field, Dave. It's tempting to start talking a little bit about realignment, but I know when we start going down that rabbit hole, you can kind of get lost. So, uh, we, we had Kevin Warren had his chance to spike the ball and, and, and sort of revel in a moment for the big 10, but we are going to keep it on the field. How are you doing, my friend?
1: I am doing great. I'm happy to talk about whatever you want to talk about. So you, uh, you lead the way and I'll follow.
0: (laughs) Well, you know, one of the things we try to do here, uh, over the years when we when we do this preview is hit on every team um we may not give it every team the exact equal billing but we like to try to bounce around as best we can try to do it in a way that is not just you know lining up one team and say and go uh, but i do think this league still despite what happened last year you know sort of it goes through columbus ohio um, and it certainly sounds like the Buckeyes are motivated by what happened last year. It wasn't it wasn't that bad of a year in the context of you know most college football programs, but when you lose to your rival who you haven't lost to in a long time, and you don't play in the playoff when you know you have a team that is probably one of the three or four most talented in the country, it's a disappointment. Uh, it certainly sounds like. The Buckeyes head into this season not only very talented but with something of a
1: chip on their shoulders. That was my sense too from talking to them uh, in Indy. That uh, I, I mean, it's hard. Like I, I empathize. I, you know, no, no one's playing the violin for Ryan Day necessarily, but you win eleven games, you win a thrilling Rose Bowl. I mean, it's the Rose Bowl. You're a Big Ten team. You win the Rose Bowl. Everywhere else, that's a pretty good year, and in Columbus, that's a disappointment, and that's just. That's what they signed up for, and I'm not saying woe is me, but they were a really good team last year. I mean, they were the highest-scoring offense in the country. They had a Heisman finalist, at quarterback in his first year as a starter. They had a freshman running back go over 1,200 yards. They had some of the best receivers in the country. The issue was simply the defense, and they have to figure out a way to to get it fixed, and they've made the change here with Jim Knowles, and we'll see whether or not he's the guy to – Get it back on track. I mean, the last two years, this has not been a a good defense by Ohio State's standards. I mean, they're two of the five worst scoring defenses in school history over the last couple years. So let's see whether or not they can get things headed in the right direction on that side of the ball. But they'll be overpowering on offense, and I'm with you. I just got a sense that they were incredibly focused when we talked to them there in Indy.
0: On the defensive side of the ball, one of the things that – has been sort of lacking a little bit from Ohio State. We, we, we've become a very custom when Ohio State, listen, say it's great run because it's on, still on that run. But the the years where they won the national championship or played for it, you had the Boses, you had Chase Young, you had these really dominant pass rushers. Zach Harrison had a very good year last year, and I still think is has the ability to sort of be like a first-round type talent at defensive end, but they also have some young players on there who I think that they were expecting to even get a little more as as freshmen guys like Jack Sawyer, um, who they didn't get that much from last year. And I do wonder if a lot of what we're going to see out of Ohio state this year is how much of a step forward those guys take. And one other thing I'll also point out, Dave will eventually be seeing a lot of these teams up close and personal when he does the bus tour with Jerry and Howard over the next couple of weeks. So um we we might not be getting him at the point where he has the most information on some of these teams. But as always, you know, Dave knows what he's talking about. So I just wanted to bring that, that point up, but also say, like, I, I wonder what they're expecting out of those younger pass rushers. And if that's the thing that maybe turns this defense around where you have these really impactful pass rushers like they've had before.
1: I would agree. And. Uh, Jack Sawyer in the spring game a couple of years ago was phenomenal. And then last year he had a few sacks and, but he, but he wasn't an overpowering player. Zach Harrison wasn't overpowering last year. You know, Tyleek Williams, another guy who had a good year last year, but I mean, I think the stat that said it all was in the Michigan game, they had zero tackles for loss, none in the entire game. So, you know, you can't, win that way on defense. They have to find some playmakers and you're right. I mean, through the years they have had some phenomenal guys on the defensive line. Their best teams have had overpowering pass rushers, guys who can disrupt the line of scrimmage. So that is one of the things that the Jerry Howard and Joshua and I'll be looking for. I think when we're in Columbus is, is there that guy? And, and I do think there are a few candidates, but I don't think that this is a defense. Like you think about the star power on offense, that they have. And you can run up and down the list and you got all American candidates all over the place. I don't think there are many guys on the defense that in the preseason jump out at you is all American candidates. I mean, maybe Ronnie Hickman, maybe a couple of those other guys we mentioned, if they were to take a huge step forward, Tommy Eichenberg is someone who Ryan day really singled out when he talked to us in, in Indy, maybe he at linebacker can, can take a big step forward. But I think that's the big question is, if they're really going to be the team they hope to be and and be a national championship type contender, they need some all Americans on defense. And so are there those players who can step forward? That's one of the big things we'll be looking at. I think more in Columbus, but, but I do think it's fair to say that part of that was scheme too. Right. I mean, part of it was, they just, for whatever reason, didn't have faith in that, in that defensive scheme a year ago. And, and so whether or not Jim Knowles is the right guy, we'll see. But he certainly had a really nice track record in, in Stillwater of, of improving Oklahoma State year in and year out and turning them into an elite defense in a league that's not known for elite defense.
0: Okay, there are still divisions in the uh, Big Ten that might not last when they, it has a Western wing. Uh, but as of right now, there are still divisions, and that Big Ten East is still a bear right up top with Ohio State. And three other powers, we tend to lump... I I feel like we've done this before, so we'll just do it again. We sort of talk about Ohio State as the favorite, and then we look at those three other powers, Michigan, Michigan State, Penn State, and and try to determine which of those three has the best chance or uh, to emerge as the biggest uh, threat to Ohio State. Uh, Last year was Michigan's year. Michigan finally breaks through. Uh, you know to a certain degree Michigan state i think probably i think it's fair to say i know this comes across as a slight maybe overachieved a little bit last year broke through a little faster than we expected with mel tucker and penn state sort of had a little bit of a you know an odd year where injuries and things like that left it at a an only a seven win team but i think if you look at it on paper probably not much different a team than michigan and michigan state so when you have those three contenders again uh, one of them is going to finish fourth, most likely in this division, which is, which is rough. You know, h- how do you line them up this year?
1: Well, again, I would just say, you know, I want to see them in in camp and and get a feel for it. But just kind of on paper, I think Michigan's going to be really good offensively. I understand they lost Josh Gaddis and he won the Broyles Award as the offensive or the assistant coach of the year. Uh, so... I don't want to in any way minimize the impact that he had, but I would also say he was there in in previous years and they weren't overpowering on offense. Plus Max Weiss and uh, Matt Weiss and Jerome Moore uh, were there last year as well. And those are the guys who are are splitting the offensive coordinator duties now. So it's not as if they're reinventing the wheel there. I, I don't want to minimize the loss of Josh Gattis, but I think they should be okay. And, Man, I mean, just all the pieces are in place there. You know, Cade McNamara turned into a really steady quarterback. You still have J.J. McCarthy, who had a sore arm in the spring and, and got held out. But we saw flashes of why he was a five-star. They're really loaded at receiver. I mean, they essentially bring back everybody uh, from last year, plus Ronnie Bell back from the, the torn ACL that he suffered in the, the season opener. They've got an outstanding tight end duo. They've got Blake Corum, who's an outstanding running back and, and can catch the ball out of the backfield as well. Uh, The offensive line should be fabulous. That was an area where they made a big jump last year. So I think offensively, they'll be every bit as good. The issues to me are on defense. I mean, they were fabulous last year. They were really, really good led the big 10 in scoring defense in the regular season. That was unexpected to me. I mean, they had been a poor defense the year before, give a ton of credit to Mike McDonald, but he is gone. And so Jesse Minner who helped build that defense, you know, they worked together in Baltimore and uh, in the NFL. And, and so it, it's a similar scheme. And Jim Harbaugh emphasized that when we talked to him, but then when you spoke with coaches last year, or when I spoke with coaches last year, they talked a lot about, look, Aiden Hutchinson, David Ojabo are just different, man. And and it's really hard to game plan for two guys who are as overpowering as that. And those guys are both gone. And so if you don't have those disruptors up front, regardless of who your coordinator is, can you be at that level? And that to me, that, that that's the big question with Michigan. But I still feel like there's so many pieces in place offensively that, that I, I think it's hard not to say they'd be the first team in that group. Um, Michigan State, um, the defense has to get better. You know, they give up the most passing yards by far of any team in the country. I think they will get better. I, I think that it was, you know, again, it's just a matter of kind of familiarity with the system and plugging in the right guys. And this was this was kind of a little bit of a rebuild, and they were way ahead of schedule last year to win eleven games, to win the Peach Bowl. Um, obviously he used the portal really well. Mel Tucker did, and uh, now we'll see. I mean, he's got a on, on offense, he's got to replace Kenneth Walker, who may have been the best portal pickup of, of anyone in the country last year. We'll see whether or not Jerick Broussard, who comes in from Colorado, or maybe the Wisconsin transfer, Jalen Berger, could be that guy. But you, you bring back your quarterback, who had a really good year last year in Peyton Thorne, uh, outstanding wide receiver in Jaden Reed, who's his high school teammate, Thorns, and uh, a couple of guys who were overlooked in recruiting and have ended up being stars. And then they do bring back a lot on that defense. And, and so, you know, kind of have, have they grown? I think that's the, the big question mark there. And then with Penn State, I, you know, there's this was just a bad offense. And Sean Clifford said all the right things at media days. As you mentioned, injuries were a huge part of it last year. He was a pretty good quarterback before he got hurt. And then it kind of all fell off. But they've got to figure out a way to run the ball. I mean, the, the stat – I think the stat of the year in the Big Ten, Ralph, was the longest touchdown run for Penn State last year was seven yards. The longest wow, touchdown run of the year. That. Seven yards. I realize that. <laughs> so, like, they have to figure out a way to run the ball. They have to figure out a way to be better on the offensive line. And I swear we've been having this same discussion – for nearly the entire 16 yard seers of the of the big 10 network i mean they just haven't been good on the offensive line and you then know, that, you know that you,
0: is interesting yeah. even when saquon was there uh you know he was so amazing yes. that he that to a, to a certain degree he masked some of the issues with the offensive line but you're right they just it's even when they've had pretty good offensive lines you've always kind of felt like man why aren't they dominant up front and they've even had players go on to the pros, but they just can't seem to get that. Like like Michigan last year, you think every once in a while it would come together. And even if you don't have a whole bunch of, you know, high first round draft picks, you have some continuity and some experience. And, man, that meshes together and you have a really good unit for one or two years. But it seems like we have really been chasing that ghost for a while.
1: Hasn't happened. And I'm with you. It, it doesn't make sense. That it hasn't happened, so we'll see whether that group can get better. And then I just think, you know, on defense, you have a new defensive coordinator, Manny Diaz. Brent Pry got the Virginia Tech head coaching job, and and Brent Pry's been with James Franklin at every stop. At every, really good. every, good. yeah, he's really good. And so, look, Manny Diaz has a great track record, as anyone who follows college football knows, as a defensive coordinator. And so, there's no reason to think he can't step in and do a good job. But they also just lost a, a lot of. Uh, star power there. I mean, they lost Abikati, the the Temple transfer, who had a really good year last year, Uh, Jesse Lucetta, Jaquan Brisker, Tariq Castro-Fields. I mean, there's some really good players on that defense who are gone. And so when you're replacing the coordinator and you're replacing some of your stars, I I think that's a a challenging situation. And, And so I guess, again, just on paper without seeing them, it feels to me like Penn State has the most question marks of that three it feels like Michigan has the fewest question marks, although they have a fair number, and Michigan State somewhere in the middle.
0: Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I know Penn State fans don't want to hear this, but it does seem like with the way they've recruited recently, you know, there's going to be a lot of talk about Drew Aller, especially if uh, Sean Clifford struggles at all. Uh, they've got some, you know, some tests early on. And the big five-star freshman quarterback coming in, you know, it looks like the, the the plan is to sort of ease him in and have Clifford, you know, be the guy this year, and then next year, you know, after a year of redshirting or or maybe playing as a backup, Aller becomes the guy. And again, there's some really good, interesting pieces in this freshman class. They've got what looks to be lined up to be a nice class coming in. So uh, it's hard to sell this to Penn State fans after they're coming off two years where they went basically 500, right? The pandemic year, which is kind of a mess, which everybody wanted to dismiss. But nonetheless, then you come back and go seven and six the next year, it becomes harder to just dismiss the pandemic year, regardless of whether it should be or not. And again, I don't know if Penn State fans want to hear This is building to something big in 2023. But that's what it sort of looks like on paper. It's just, you know, I guess you don't want to, you know, the build, it's Penn State, right? The build can't be slow.
1: Yes, and I would agree with you. I do think the flip side of it is they had five losses last year by single digits by a total of 21 points. Mm -hmm. So it's not crazy to think. And again, look, they got to number four in the country. I mean, they started off well, as you mentioned. And then it fell apart. And I do think injuries were a huge part of it. So I think you can make an argument. Again, your record is what your record is. You can make an argument they were better than their record last year, and it was just kind of a combination of circumstances. So would it surprise me were they to kind of turn things around and, and be a team that plays in the New Year's Six this year? It, it really wouldn't. Um, that's James Franklin's history before these last two years. I mean, you know, three of the last five full seasons, they've won at least 10 games. So yeah, he's got he's done a really nice job, and and he got a 10-year contract as, as a reward, but these last two years have not been where Penn State fans expect them to be. And I'm with you, you know, two years ago, the the pandemic year you could look at as an anomaly, but last year wasn't good. And so is it, this was about the injuries. This was just about losing close games. And we're going to be able to figure out a way around that. Or are we in a, a little bit of a rebuild situation where, where we're still kind of gunning for, for next year. And I think a lot of that's going to depend on, you know, whether or not they're able to develop that line and develop some sort of a run game.
0: OK, I don't want to be linear here and just go division and, and, you know, each division and down. I want to bounce around a little bit and I'm going to bounce to what I believe might be the most interesting, intriguing team in the conference because of the simple fact that Scott Frost returning to Nebraska is un, is almost unprecedented in football. And that's not a knock on Scott Frost. But if you look through the, you know, the history of college football, Guys with his record getting another chance after this is year four. Year, now I'm losing track. Uh, this is year five for Scott Frost. Guys with his record usually don't get another chance. Um, you know, he, they haven't had a winning season yet. So it was a big deal when they decided to, even you know, to bring Scott Frost back and you know we've been wondering about when Nebraska might turn around and, and find a find its footing again maybe it will never become a you know a powerhouse like it used to be but we we certainly expect more than 3 wins like we did last year Nebraska is also coming off the one of the strangest seasons talk about unprecedented and one of the strangest seasons in college football history with so many close losses a team that was probably among the, better, among the top half of Big Ten teams, but yet only won one Big Ten game in terms of like pure performance. If you want to sort of dig into the, the advanced metrics and the numbers, they were probably better than, than most of the big teams that had Big Ten teams that had a better record. So it's fascinating what's going on in Lincoln. I think it's very clear that this is, it's fair to say that this is a make or break year. I I just I do wonder, like, what does make or like, like, how do we define make or break? So, you know, again, you haven't seen them, but you've talked about you've talked to them now, seen them on paper a little bit. What what are your pro not even the prospects for a turnaround? What are you most interested in to see, like, what is different about Nebraska this year after all the turnover and basically like, hey, Scott, we're going to give you one more shot at this?
1: Man, I'm interested in everything. I mean, I agree with you. It's it's a really interesting team. I mean, the stat again, if people kind of casually follow the Big Ten and and maybe aren't didn't dig deep into the weeds. So as you mentioned, this is a team that went one and eight in the Big Ten. Their scoring margin in Big Ten games, points they scored versus points their opponent scored was zero. So they went one and eight. And their scoring margin was even on the year because they won one game by, I think they beat Northwestern by like 49 points right. and then lost to everyone else by a combined 49 points. So, I mean, I've never seen anything like that. They lost nine games by single digits. They were the first team ever in the history of college football to do that. So it's not I mean, that they, big. They, a...
0: had, they had Michigan beat. Michigan made the playoff. On they the road. They had Michigan yeah.
1: beat hundred percent. Yeah. Turn the ball over at a critical time. And, you know, that was the story. I mean, it was just whatever they could do to lose a game, they did it. And it wasn't always the same thing. Although special teams were recurring theme and turnovers were recurring theme, but it just, they were one play away so many times. So, I mean, look, they were second in the big 10 in total offense. And they replaced their offensive coordinator. Now, I'm not saying that was a bad move, good move, anywhere in between move. I'm just saying it's not as if the offense was totally broken. Um, Now, they were second in total offense. They were sixth in scoring offense. So, again, you know, you move the ball well between the 20s, and then when push comes to shove, you either can't get it in the end zone or you miss a field goal or whatever it is. But they just weren't clutch. I mean, this just wasn't a clutch team, and it it hasn't been – in the time Scott Frost has been there, I mean, he's 15 and 29 as Nebraska's coach. So everything about this team interests me. He worked hard in the portal. I mean, he got Casey Thompson, the guy who started 10 games at Texas. So presumably he's your starting quarterback. I mean, they have talent. They have talent all over the place. Um, they've done well in the portal. Uh, they haven't recruited great. I mean, that is, uh, that, that's been an issue for sure in his time there. But there's no reason to think that this isn't a team that can be in the hunt. I mean, as you said, there's no reason to think they they couldn't have been a team that was in the hunt last year. I mean, they were in every single game they played. So the question becomes, can you figure out a way to to get over the hump? Can you stop making the mistakes that bad teams make and start making the plays that good ones make? Can you get better on special teams? Uh, The quarterback, Whipple, and, and how he interacts with Frost, who is an offensive guy. What's the balancing act there of kind of who's running the show on offense? All of that stuff to me is, is really fascinating. And then they couldn't have asked for a better schedule. I mean, yeah. we yeah. always look in the West. Who do you cross over against in, in the East? They do have Michigan, but the other two crossovers are Indiana and Rutgers. So, uh, again, I, everything sets up for them to have a better year. I mean, at a minimum, you've got to make a bowl game. And then kind of what does that look like? is it a, is it a good bowl team or is it a team that kind of sneaks in by, you know, beating the, the inferior teams and, and getting smoked by the good teams, you know, at that point, then, then I think you're done. I mean, Trevor Alberts knows what it's supposed to look like. You know, he's been, he was on great, great teams and Scott knows what it's supposed to look like. So let's see, man, but I'm with you, Ralph. I'm, I'm fascinated to, to see Nebraska and they're the first team we'll actually see next week when, when we go to practice. So we'll find out pretty early on because they are uh Of course, headed to Dublin to take on Northwestern. So we'll see both of those teams pretty early before they depart for a week zero game.
0: Right. And I know fans of of other teams that I'm going to mention here don't want to hear this. But to a certain degree, if you're Nebraska, one of the things that you've lost the lost the plot on over the last couple of years is sort of beating the teams you're, quote unquote, supposed to beat. And listen, Northwestern has won this division twice. So I can understand Northwestern fans saying like, well, they're not supposed to beat us. And the, and Purdue is, has, you know, knocked around Nebraska a lot. And so I can imagine Purdue fans saying, well, they're not supposed to beat us, but if you are Nebraska you have to line up thinking like, okay, when we look at this schedule, Northwestern and Purdue are teams that we need to be regularly beating. We need to be regularly beating Illinois. It's okay if we're splitting games and we're sort of like, you know, going year to year with Iowa and Wisconsin, but we need to get to the point where we've got the the schools that we have an advantage over. We have an advantage as far as resources and tradition and all these things that really should help you recruit a better team You got to start owning those teams. And you're right with the crossover game. You don't have Ohio State this year, mercifully, uh, even though they played Ohio State a little better in the last couple of years. uh, But there's there's been more than enough blowouts there. Yeah, I I just you just got to get to the point of being able to beat the teams you're supposed to beat. And again, as you said, you do that by sort of just making winning plays. And we can talk about all the close games here and there. And how, well, eventually, you know, the odds say those will turn around. But if that continually is a problem, maybe it's just you. right? (laughs) Like maybe it is coaching. And that's why I think, you know, we look at Frost and we on one hand, you try to give him the benefit of the doubt and say, man, a lot of weird things happened in Nebraska last year. But then you look over his tenure and you say, well, these weird things keep happening. So maybe it's you.
1: It's a fair conclusion. I mean, I I think he needs to kind of prove that it's not him. I mean, because you're right. It wasn't just last year. I mean, in one possession games under Scott Frost, they are five and 20. Five and 20. So why do you continually lose these games that really should be coin flip games? I mean, they haven't had a positive turnover margin at Nebraska since 2016. They're negative 18 turnover margin in Scott Frost's tenure. Again, special teams have been a catastrophe. So these are recurring themes. Again, last year was kind of the most extreme example of it, but it was it was an extreme example of a consistent theme. And so can you buck that trend and be better in those areas? And, and I think that's how you send a message that things are going to be different. Do you have good special teams? Do you stop turning the ball over at critical times? And so maybe it's more... Maybe there's, there's more art than science to it. I mean, maybe it's not necessarily about what the record is, but Trev Alberts knows what good football looks like. Scott knows what good football looks like. Does this look like good football? And, and maybe that's really the ultimate gauge.
0: Okay, so we have the, – the way things sort of work out in the West from year to year is we kind of know Wisconsin's going to be pretty good, and sometimes they're better than pretty good. Sometimes they're really, really good. And we know Iowa is going to be pretty good. And sometimes they're better than pretty good. Sometimes they're really, really good. And I think then the rest of the West sort of – and Minnesota has sort of raised its profile to the point where I think their their, their floor is a lot higher, it has become a lot higher under P.J. Fleck. And then you have like the Northwestern – can, you know Northwestern, sort of ping-ponging around, and and Purdue, we think might have a chance to be a little bit of a surprise. Illinois is the one team that hasn't had that surge, so I'm trying to think of an interesting way to get into some of these teams that we that aren't usually considered contenders. But when you sort of look at that Purdue, Northwestern, Illinois group, um, where do you see the team that has the most the the best chance to be? the surprise contender? Because my, my, my theory is there will always be a surprise contender. There will always be a team in the West because of the nature of the West that kind of comes up and and challenges or maybe even in some years beats the teams that you think of as the perennial contenders. Where do you see that surprise contender coming this year?
1: Oh, far and away of that group of three that you mentioned, Purdue, Illinois, and Northwestern, it's Purdue. Yeah, I had
0: a feeling that was an easy one for
1: you. Yeah, I think Purdue could could easily win the division. I mean, look, they're really one-dimensional on offense. They averaged the fewest yards per carry of any team in the country last year. And yet, you know, this is a, a really good offensive team. I mean, um, they put up some huge numbers in the past game. Aiden O'Connell was a walk-on who has turned into – one of the best quarterbacks, not just in the Big Ten, but in the country. He was fourth in the nation in completion percentage last year. He's had some huge games. They've got players transferring there because they want to be a, a part of it. I mean, uh, Tyrone Tracy was a wide receiver at Iowa. He transferred to Purdue. Charlie Jones, who was the Big Ten return specialist of the year, also transferred from Iowa to Purdue. Uh, they've recruited really well at wide receiver. I mean, you lose David Bell, was an All-American But, um, you know, they've got some really good players there. They have an excellent tight end duo, uh, Payne Durham and Garrett Miller. And then they got much better on defense. I mean, they turned into a pretty good D last year. They held four opponents to fewer than 10 points, Ralph. Like, you don't think about that with Purdue. It's the first time that had happened since the late 70s. So I, I think Purdue's poised to be really, really good. And it would not surprise me at all if Purdue is the team that ends up emerging as the West champ. I mean, they have Penn State as one of their crossovers. That's at home on a Thursday night to open the season. We know about the games they've won in ross Eight in recent years. And then the other two crossover games are Maryland and Indiana. So I think Purdue's schedule sets up great, and I I think they're going to be a really good team.
0: Yeah, it is. the uh, If they they do beat Penn State, you'll see an interesting um, sort of – like buzz developing around Purdue with the, the ability to get off to a really amazing start there. I, the, my only counterpoint, and I, I, I tend to agree with most of what you say on, on Purdue. My only counterpoint on them to push back a little bit is George Karloftis was one of the 10 to 15 best defensive players in the country. And, yep. I, might be, and I might be underrating him. And uh, David Bell um, was one of the five to 10 best receivers in the country. That level of individual stardom is probably not there on this team, and it's hard for Purdue to um, Purdue to replicate. So I, I, I would just that be my only thing to sort of temper because I know Purdue is going to be a buzzy team. They might end up in the preseason top twenty-five. I think there's a possibility they're going to be on the on, on, right on the edge of that. So I do understand the buzz around Purdue. That would be my one like little tiny pushback on them. As for listen Northwestern, it's you know, you, you kind of never know what you're going to get from Northwestern because they've sort of had this pinballing up and down. Uh, and it seems like Illinois might be, you know, definitely showed signs of moving forward last year. I really like uh, Ryan Walters, the, the defensive coordinator. I thought he did a really good job last year and they reward him because I know he was a, he was a guy who people looked at with a with a nice contract there. So if you're looking at Northwestern Illinois and sort of thinking like, okay, like which one of these is going to avoid the bottom of, of the big 10 West, uh, where do you see with, what, 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 do you see out of those two, uh, you know, Illinois based schools, Illinois rivals?
1: Well, on paper, Illinois seems like the better team. They, they finally beat Northwestern last year. I think Northwestern won like six in a row, uh, and Illinois beat them and, and beat them pretty soundly. So, you know, starting with the Illini, um, you know, Brett went out and hired a new offensive coordinator in Barry Lunny, uh, who was at UTSA, and they were uh, 11th in the nation, I think it was, in scoring. And Brett had worked with him in Arkansas. In fact, he was the guy who gave him his, his first big break. They've got to be better, though, on, on offense. They got Tommy DeVito, who came from Syracuse, and, and Brett was really raving about him at Big Ten Media Days. Um, pretty solid player there, really had a great spring game. They've got a couple of explosive players on offense. Uh, Chase Brown's a very good back at a couple games over 200 yards, including a huge game at Penn State. Isaiah Williams, who was recruited as a quarterback, has turned into a pretty explosive wide receiver. And then to your point, defensively, they improved by leaps and bounds last year. Ryan Walters did a really nice job. They have a significant uh, portion of that group back. They were 11th in the nation in scoring defense in conference play last year, which uh, it's it's pretty amazing considering where they started the year. The, at the beginning of the year, they were not very good defensively. So they really figured it out as the year went on. So i would leaned their way over Northwestern. I, I don't really know what to make of Northwestern. Again, they've won the division two of the last four years, and they finished last two of the last four years. Um, the weird thing there is for years, you could count on their defense. They had Mike Hankowitz, who was one of the best defensive coordinators in the country, was unheralded just kind of went about his business, but man, he was great. He retired and they turned it over to Jim O'Neill and it was just an abject disaster. I mean, they were absolutely horrible on defense last year. They had six big 10 games where they gave up more than 33 points. They had had five big 10 games, giving up more than 33 points in the previous five years combined. And again, it happened six times last year. So I don't know. I'm not convinced that that, that that's solvable in a year. And then, you know, their quarterback play is so up and down. I mean, they, Clay, for years, they were really good at quarterback. They always had someone who was good and then Clayton Thorson started for four years. And then it's just kind of been a roller coaster. Um, You know, they had Hunter Johnson who was a five-star who transferred in and, and was just terrible. I mean, with all due respect, it just got the point. They, they literally couldn't play him. I think he threw four interceptions in the first half against Duke and and he was done. I'm not sure they ever put him back into a game. Uh, And so, you know, Ryan Holinski was South Carolina transfer who had started as a freshman at South Carolina and came in and just didn't look ready. So I don't know. I mean, they had the one year with Peyton Ramsey where they were pretty good at quarterback, but um, you know, they're just not a very explosive offense. So they have to be good on defense a um, couple good running backs. Evan Hall had a nice year last year. Cam Porter comes back after getting injured in camp last year, and he, he showed some great signs. You know, the previous year before I mean, 2020, they finished in the top 10 in the country. So, you know, Pat Fitzgerald knows what he's doing. But, but again, I, it feels like they have a bigger jump to take than Illinois does to, to kind of really be competitive.
0: Don't poke fun at me for being a gadget guy. You want lemon zest? I've got a zester.
1: Gapping spark plugs? Let me grab my spark plug gauge. And for sure, I'm a Regions app guy when I need to check balances, deposit checks, make transfers, or make an appointment. Regions tech
0: is always at my fingertips. You need anytime access to your accounts. Regions gets it. So switch to Regions Life Green Checking for our highly rated app, online tools, and personal service that helps you live in the moment. Visit Regions.com to learn more. Regions Bank Member FDIC. Equal Housing Lender. All right, so again, we're ping ponging around here. So I think since we were talking about teams that have were struggling or that we're not sure will be, you know, more toward the bottom of the conference of their division, let's go back to the East for a second here, because we always tend to, you know, wrap up Maryland, Indiana, and Rutgers together, though they are at kind of very different stages of development right now. You know, Maryland had a, an interesting year with a great offense. They, they, you know, they're still not getting over the hump and beating a lot of the better teams, but, you know, there's something to be said for beating the teams you're supposed to beat. And that's sort of where Maryland was last year. And Rutgers absolutely took a step forward, but we also wonder what the ceiling is for Rutgers. And, of course, Indiana, unfortunately, bottomed out uh, after last year, which sort of, you know, not to criticize Indiana and Tom Allen, I think it shows the nature of a program like that, right? Like you can have a great year, but you probably don't have the depth and 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 talent build up to the point where if a couple of guys fall off, and you get a couple of injuries, things can go sideways pretty quickly. Uh, the The general consensus is Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana. That's probably the way they'll line up in the, or oh, that's the way they've been sort of predicted to line up as you know in the, in the division. Is there any reason why you think that maybe? that won't go that way that one of them has a chance to rise up above the other, or maybe even, you know, Maryland have a chance, maybe let's start with Maryland, Maryland, have a chance to break into that top four.
1: I don't think that's unreasonable at all. Um, It's going to depend on defense. Uh, This, I mean, I was amazed at kind of how Maryland kept things going last year because they were a team that got really banged up and particularly a wide receiver, which is the strong suit, of their team. Uh, Dante Demas was second in the big 10 in receiving yards per game, played six games and, and then got hurt and was out for the year. He'll be back. Jay Sean Jones is another really capable target. So yeah, they were kind of down to Rick Jarrett, Jared. Who was a really highly recruited player. If you might remember, uh, was originally expected to go to LSU and then on signing day flipped to, to Maryland. He's been a huge get for them. Um, They've got uh, Jacob Copeland, who transferred in as well from Florida, led them in in receptions last year. So they've got a really capable receiving crew. You know, Leah Tungabailoa, I feel like everyone watched that Iowa game because it was on a Friday night and it was kind of the only game going on in that window. And and he was dreadful in that game. Uh, But the rest of the year, he was really good. I mean, he set the school record for passing yards, he completed nearly 70% of his passes. He had 11 interceptions, but I mean, five of them were in one game in in that Iowa game. So Lee is a really good player. Uh, Offensive line has been getting better. I mean, the the line play is the area where Maryland has struggled since getting to the Big Ten, really on both sides of the ball. And so I I think they're getting better offensively. I I think the defensive line is going to be where the concerns are they have a new coordinator on that side brian williams and and he actually coordinated the defense for a couple games last year and those were two of their best games of the year and then they promoted him uh internally so i i kind of like maryland i mean i again we'll see it's tough to break through when you're in the east for the reasons you outlined i mean you have some really good programs there but you know in terms of the the west crossovers they do have to play wisconsin but you know they have a a game against northwestern they have purdue as well so not the not the greatest crossover schedule but i i yeah i mean i'm i'm intrigued by maryland i like the fact that they start with non-conference games they can build a little bit of momentum unlike a lot of these teams that that start with playing a big 10 opponent and i'm anxious to see where this thing goes but but i can understand why terps fans are excited
0: yeah, and I wonder with Rutgers and Indiana. I I seem to think it's it's which one of these two schools can really listen. Indiana issues on both sides of the ball. You don't when you go two and ten, you're having issues on both sides of the ball. And they made some staff changes to address you know to address everything. Uh, Rutgers was a little more stable, made some pro had some progress last year, um, but nonetheless, I I think both. I think for both schools, it sort of starts with the offensive side of the ball, quarterback play, and what they can do um, to just you know be a little more explosive. Um, what's the ch- you know if, if I'm if I'm asking you which one has a chance to do to, to move forward and take a step uh, a step forward this year or a bigger step forward this year? Which one are you taking, Indiana or Rutgers?
1: I guess on paper I take Rutgers, but I really want to see Indiana and in Camp because they were really active in the portal, and so getting a sense for you know, kind of who they brought in. Um, you know, Connor Bazelak was the SEC Freshman of the Year That's an a few interesting years player. ago. Player,
0: interesting player, yeah. right there.
1: Yeah. So I don't know. I mean, look, we were all raving about Michael Penix heading into last year, and and obviously he just could not avoid the injury bug, which was the story of his career. Unfortunately, we'll see whether he can. Uh, avoid that now that he's moved on to Washington, I believe. Um so yeah, I mean if basilac is is really good, then maybe that changes things a, a, a little bit for for IU. I they they definitely, you know, have some again, they were so banged up last year. I mean, you look at a team that that just had injuries left and right. And I think that was part of the explanation for their problems. But no DJ Matthews, I mean, was a really exciting player. Um in his time at Florida state and comes to Indiana and then gets hurt right away. I mean, if if he's healthy, maybe, maybe they're different there. Um, And then uh, defensively injuries were a huge, huge issue. And so they changed coordinators. You know, that Chad Wilt uh, is the new defensive coordinator. Walt Bell's new offensive coordinator. Again, it's an overhaul. I I guess I just kind of want to see how some of these players that we haven't been able to see in an Indiana uniform who are unproven but seem like maybe there is the, a chance for them to, to take a jump. I mean, I, I just think that Michigan State last year was the example of you can flip things in a hurry if you get the right guys in the portal. And so I guess I'd kind of like to go to IU before, you know, assessing them and just see whether or not they got the right guys in the portal or at least, you know, get a sense for what these guys look like. Uh, Rutgers, uh, the offense did take a step back. They've got an interesting quarterback battle. Going on, you know, this young guy, Gavin Wimstad, who came in during the course of the year last year from high school. So we'll see what happens there. They also have really struggled on the offensive line. They brought in a bunch of guys in the portal. And they have a new defensive coordinator, too, Joe Harasimiak. And uh, does he get that group, uh, you know, kind of headed in the right direction? They were okay on defense last year. They were a little bit better. But again, you know transfers, and and can they make a jump there? I'm I'm interested to see what they've got. But but kind of on paper, I would stack it up the way you stack it up: Maryland, Rutgers, Indiana.
0: Okay. On on the other side, we'll we'll. Come down the stretch with the three teams that I think, and again, no slight to Purdue. I feel like I've already slighted Purdue. I have like Purdue.
1: <laughs> but, but the three you teams. You've made fly. a career out of slighting <laughs> Purdue, Ralph.
0: Yeah. What's how, did that, how did that
1: happen? How did I become an impact Purdue? Um, but I think
0: the three teams that are, are generally considered the most likely to win the West. And in many ways, you know, listen, there's nothing that feels more Big 10 West than just just stacking up Wisconsin, Iowa, and Minnesota next to each other. Because in many ways, these teams all sort of share an ethos, right? I think that they're all generally going to try to run the ball first. They're all going to try to play sort of big physical defense. And um, I, again, I, I, I think they all sort of want to be each other. Right. I mean, and, and like you can dive into scheme and tell me, no, uh, Wisconsin likes to do this and Iowa likes to do that and Minnesota. And this is how they're different. But I think mm-hmm. on, on a very on a very basic sort of like um, visceral level, they are the same. They share they share they share spirit animals. Uh, and yeah. I think that's the way I again, I think that's the, they're the three top contenders this year. I'm interested to see how it plays out, because I honestly I keep looking at the three of them. And I guess I should feel like maybe Iowa is the is the team that is best situated to uh, to repeat in the division. Um, But, you know, quarterback play across the three of them, I think, is questionable, even though Tanner Morgan seems to be the the most experienced and the guy with the track record of success at Minnesota. It's a it's just it's a it's a fascinating threesome to be at the top of that. About at that division? Because again, I just feel like they all sort of are, are cut from the same cloth.
1: So I would agree that philosophically, they're pretty similar. Uh, control the ball. Generally, that means running it. You're a ball control offense. You're going to play really good defense and you're going to not be afraid to punt the ball away and, and put your defense on the field. So I, I do think philosophically, uh, for that matter, I think you can lump Northwestern in with that group too. Right. And again, we mentioned they've won it two of the last four years and and they have a similar philosophy. You're kind of built around defense. And that's kind of why I like Purdue in some ways is I think they're the one team in the West. That's really different philosophically than, than the other ones where you're not necessarily built around the run game. It it was interesting to me that the unofficial media poll, and there's no official poll in the big 10, but the unofficial poll picked Wisconsin, because I would say, I think they have fewer answers than Iowa does kind of heading into the year. I, I feel like Iowa's in a, a better shape defensively just because they bring a lot more back. I, you know, they both have fabulous coordinators and you know Jim Leonard does an amazing job. And so I would never doubt him for a moment. I mean Wisconsin led the nation in total defense and rushing defense last year, but they have to replace eight starters. So as great as Jim Leonard is, that's hard to do. I, I think this could be one of the most loaded Iowa defenses that we've ever seen really good up front. Uh, They have most of that group back from last year. They finished in the top 20 in the nation scoring D seven straight years. And yet no one really talks about Phil Parker as one of the great defensive coordinators. I think much in the way that Mike Hankwitz kind of flew under the radar for years at Northwestern. I think it's just because he doesn't promote himself. He's not looking to be a head coach. He's happy to be there. And yeah, yeah. And so, but man, he's phenomenal and, and they are really, really talented on defense. So then you look at the other side of the ball and they're not, I mean, they struggled mightily last year. They won four games with less than 300 yards of total offense. There's only one team in the country that punted more than Iowa did. So I'm not arguing that they're a complete team. I guess I would just say Wisconsin has the same issues on offense where they were not, they at least ran the ball well, which I would do, but you know, their past game was, was pretty dreadful and they have a new coordinator. They're trying to, to break in. And so whether or not they're able to take that step right away, we'll see. And they have those questions on defense. And then uh, as far as Minnesota is concerned, that's where the, that's the really intriguing one because, you know, Tanner Morgan a few years ago was one of the best quarterbacks in the country. He's fourth in the nation in passing efficiency in 2019. His offensive coordinator was Kirk Scirocco and then Kirk Scirocco left and went to Penn state and things just fell off a cliff offensively at least uh, in the past game for Minnesota. Now Kirk Chirac is back. And so what does that do for Tanner Morgan? He was certainly really excited. And when we talked to him in media day about the prospect of working with Chirac again and and the comfort level there, they had a ton of running back injuries last year and still kind of figured out a way. They had five different players rush for 100 yards in a game. They were just the second team this century to do that. But the real story of Minnesota last year was the defense. Uh, They were third in the nation in total defense after just being pitiful defensively in 2020. So we'll see, are they able to kind of continue that? I mean, they're, they're a little bit of an amalgam. I mean, I think they have fewer questions maybe on both sides of the ball than either of those other teams. But for, for whatever reason, I would say I kind of trust Iowa the most of those three heading into the year. But, but I think, you know, you've kind of isolated the right three. Again, I'd add Purdue in there too. And I think it's it's going to come down to who stays healthy and a few breaks here and there, and maybe to a certain extent to, to scheduling. And again, that's why I think Purdue's got a, a nice draw on that from the schedule perspective. But yeah, it's, I mean, it, it's wide open, I think, in the West as it is most years.
0: Yeah, I feel like Minnesota has the most ability to be explosive on offense, even though, again, like their their DNA is to not necessarily – they're not going to – as great as Tanner Morgan was a few years ago when they had that breakthrough season, it was he, it was greatness in efficiency uh, plus a really tre- tremendous receiver, a couple of receivers with Rashad Bateman uh, leading the way there. Uh, but I, I look at like Minnesota this year and I see the possibility of some, some explosiveness. Not that they're going to air it out, but they have that in their – in the bag of tricks they can go to explosiveness of course wisconsin has braylon allen uh who is just a freak and it's just you know and and i think that's a lot of reasons why people may have been drawn to wisconsin i think the two things that draws people to wisconsin and why they may have gotten uh, a little more preseason love i I do think braylon allen uh, i do think this probably is 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 as much as graham mertz has not played well I do think that there is a, a something of a, an allure to the five-star pedigree that he might figure it out, and then it's uh, it's Jim Leonard. I, I, I think that there's there's sort of a respect that oh he'll they'll be really good on defense because he's so good. So I think that's what draws people to Wisconsin. But I, I do like that 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 balance that Minnesota might have. Maybe more so than all the, than the other ones. Not just balance offense and defense, but when I look at an offense, the ability to be very good on the ground while also having some explosiveness. The odd thing about Minnesota is where they're experiencing a lot of turnover is up front. So I think that what we'll find out at Minnesota this year is how well do they develop these big offensive linemen? Because they have a whole mess of them coming in. They've got some, some good talent coming you know, coming in, and they're all enormous – but there's some new guys there. And so how well did the new guys develop?
1: I think that's a really good point. And, and one that I did mention Ralph and talking about Minnesota, but you're right. I mean, the offensive line was the story of this team for the last couple of years. And they lost 197 combined career starts up there. They have John Michael Schmidt's back, who is a center and kind of an all American type caliber center, but they lost the other four starters and, and they're replacing a lot on defense as well. And, and, Again, the portal is going to be really important to them and um, in terms of whether or not they're able to kind of not miss a beat on the defensive end. So they, personnel-wise, have a lot of questions. And again, that's, I, I think, why I gravitate towards Iowa. I just think kind of on on both sides, they're they're more of a known commodity. Although their offensive line, I mean, that was an interesting one last year too because, you know, they probably had the best center in the country in Tyler Linderbaum, and they still had a bad offensive line. I mean, they just weren't good. Yeah. So, so I, very uncharacteristically,
0: you know, and being the funny thing about going to Big Ten Media Days this year for me is I, I was focusing a lot on the off the field stuff. So I don't know if I gained as much information about the teams as I would have liked, because, you know, I, I spent a lot of time with Kevin Warren and just, again, dealing with some of the off the field stuff. Um but one of the things I think I did sort of glean from my time of sort of listening in on coaches and players and, and frankly, even like talking to other writers who cover the teams is this idea that um, maybe in some ways, what will, what will reveal itself with Iowa this year is yes, they had some issues with the offensive line, but you know, Tyler Goodson was a, was a talented player, but maybe not the perfect fit for what they were trying to do offensively as far as running style. So maybe, um, we, always, we always tend to look at a struggling running game and sort of nudge it towards, oh, well, the offensive line's not getting any push. But sometimes it, it's running backs being the right fit and the right style for what you want to do. So I think there's some hope at Iowa this year that the runners that they have will be a little more one cut get up field and, and, and produce a little more in the running game. And that sort of fixes the running game this year. It'll be interesting to see. But again, I think it's going to be a rock fight in the West because it would be no other way. It it might not be <laughs> technically beautiful, but it's gonna be it's gonna be wonderful football to watch.
1: Yeah, for sure. And and you make a good point. I mean, um, Tyler Goodson lost yards on forty-seven carries last year. That can't all be on the offensive line. Like part of that was his tendency to dance around a little bit and, and maybe as good a back as he was, he was a thousand yard back, but but maybe for their offense, a bit of a, a square peg round hole. And I think they feel a little bit different with Gavin Williams and Lashawn Williams. Who are uh, maybe a little bit more kind of downhill, more traditional uh, Iowa back. So we'll see, but yeah, I, I think the West's going to be wide open. I'm fascinated to to get to these camps and see what everyone's got.
0: Okay, so we're going to wrap up because uh, every year uh, you guys do a camp tour. Uh, it's been sometimes just you know riding the bus with Jerry and Howard, uh, having Jerry. I'm going to assume. I, I know this may not happen, but I'm going to assume it's uh, there's a kitchen on that bus, and and Jerry's cooking up some awesome meals. Um, don't tell me if it's not, I just want to assume that <laughs> just I want to, I like the, I like the picture, Jerry, you know, uh, whipping up sausage and peppers on a bus, you know, <laughs> as you guys go sort of like, you know, roll across the Midwest. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah.
1: I, I, I like people's glamorous image of what happens yeah, yeah, on yeah, the, yeah. on the big 10 bus. And then, you right. know, like if you actually looked inside and everyone's just fast asleep with their mouth, a <laughs> catching flies. Right. As, as, as we roll across the country, but, but yeah, however you want to glamorize uh, the, the situation, I'm all for it.
0: Before I let you go promo, what you, what you got coming up on the big 10 network as you prepare big 10 fans for the season, what's your tour is going to look like this year.
1: So we're starting with the week zero teams coming up next week. So Nebraska, Northwestern, Illinois actually plays week zero as well. They're playing Wyoming. So We'll see those three first, and then we head east and make our way back west. And So, yeah, I'm really excited. I mean, uh, this is our 16th year. We'll be celebrating the 15th anniversary of the Big Ten Network coming up at the end of August, and it's just hard to believe. And and we've got the same core group. I mean, I've been there the whole time with Jerry and Howard on the football desk, Mike Hall and Rick Pizzo as well. Uh, Joshua Perry's been an incredible addition. He'll be on the tour with us again for the – fourth straight year and um, really a talented young guy who played in the league more recently and, and brings great insight. And I'm just excited. Will we'll those uh, camp tour shows roll out uh, kind of the, the end of that first week of, of August? And then uh, I return August 22nd and start hosting Big Ten today every day at noon Eastern time where, you know, we kind of whip around the league and see what's going on. And uh, that's that's every weekday. And of course, our football Saturdays are, are back and you know, we're there for 17 hours every Saturday, and I wouldn't have it any other way. It's, it's so much fun. I, I love working with those guys. It's, it's really been the highlight of my career in, in a lot of ways, and I'm just excited. It's so invigorating every year, Ralph, to, to have a new season. I was talking with, with Kirk Ferrets about this. Obviously, he predates us, but, but just kind of this notion of, I think people sometimes, he was saying, people say to him, like, well, what keeps you going? And it's it's the freshness of it. It's it's that there are always new storylines. It's, you know, all those things are are really exciting if, if you love this sport and this league. And and that's kind of how I feel about it. There's always something new going on. And obviously looking forward to the expansion here in a couple of years, that's going to be big for us. But but yeah, I'm just I'm fired up, to get going and and get out to those camp tours and see what's what. Dave Revson
0: from the Big Ten Network, he comes on every year and helps us uh, break down and, and forecast and preview this conference. He is the best. Dave, you are a, a gentleman and a scholar. Thank you so much for doing this every year uh, and providing great insight. Good luck on the bus tour. Best to Jerry and Howard. Uh, thank goodness he got Joshua on there. He gives you old guys a little hipness, and you know that, that, that's a good addition. Uh, to the crew. But again, I I can't thank you enough for doing this every year.
1: Oh, it's my pleasure, Ralph. I have a great time and you do such a fabulous job. So it is always fun to, to be on with you. And I measure time by it, man. I'm back in my backyard sitting on the deck talking to Ralph. So we must be ready for a new season.
0: And now three and out. First down. Here's the realignment portion of today's program. There has been some reporting lately by some good and reliable reporters that has suggested the Big Ten's current status on realignment is, let me put it this way, more volatile than I believe it is in reality. I don't get any sense that the Big Ten is waffling between do we or don't we grab up more West Coast territory territory. To be clear, I'm not talking about Notre Dame. The Irish are clearly an expansion target because there is no question that they bring value in terms of increased revenue. Plus, other than the AAU piece and being a small private school, Notre Dame checks all the Big Ten's boxes in terms of athletics and academics, culture fit, etc., etc. But mostly they ring the revenue bell, which means adding the Irish would increase the media rights payout to all current members – Grow not just the size of the pie, but the slices of the pie. I don't believe any other school does that in a way that is unequivocal, though I'm not sure every analyst would draw that same conclusion. There are some schools that wouldn't necessarily drive the value of the media deal up, but they might not necessarily pull it down. I think the Big Ten views some of the remaining Pac-12 schools, especially Oregon and Washington and the Bay Area schools to a certain degree, this way. They could increase the size of the pie, but not in a way that increases or decreases the size of the members slices of the pie. The question that I can't answer, and frankly, I'm not sure the Big Ten can answer at this point is what other strategic value is there to more expansion? Are you now in a tit-for-tat with the SEC where there could be some advantage to gathering the most valuable pieces available on the board regardless of where they are? Has this become a real-life game of risk where territory matters? Can it strengthen the Big Ten's position when it comes to the governance of college sports? Could there be expansion value in more control and access to the college football playoff, which, of course, could also mean more revenue? On the other side, does expanding the Big Ten and by virtue of that expansion possibly killing another conference now put the Big Ten in the type of antitrust risk that has weakened the NCAA? I don't think the answers to those questions are apparent inside or outside of the Big Ten offices and for that matter, the SEC offices, because I'm sure they have to be pondering some of the same things, though, without such obvious possible targets for expansion available until the answers are apparent until they become clear. I don't think the Big Ten is warming up or cooling on any particular expansion scenario. Second down, earlier this week, longtime Oklahoma assistant Cal Gundy resigned from Brent Venable's staff to try to sum up the details of the facts as they have been presented by just a few public comments. As of this recording, Gundy was in a meeting with players when he used a word that he should not have used. Gundy said he read the word off of a player's tablet Brent Venables put out a statement later saying the word was used multiple times. I have no analysis of this situation, but I do think it was a good example of how the content machine moves in an unhealthy way. When I woke up to the news Monday morning, oh, yes, it was a bit of a late night news dump on a Sunday by OU. My very first reaction was, I wonder what the entire story is here. But the chatter cycle on social media and other outlets, which encourages people to have an opinion on something like this or do some sort of analysis, had already begun. Despite the fact that the information available was at best limited. It was so apparent that it was limited. So, again, I have no opinion on what Gundy did or didn't do or the resulting actions by Oklahoma. Not only because I still don't think we have all the necessary information. At least not as of this recording. But I guess my question is this. Why do I need to have an opinion on this? Or at least one that I feel the need to share with a large audience. Third down. Alabama was number one in the coaches preseason poll that came out earlier this week. The AP preseason top 25 will be released on Monday, August 15th at noon Eastern. Give or take a couple of minutes. Bama being the choice of the coaches was certainly no surprise, nor was Ohio State at number two and Georgia at number three. We've we've talked about this on the show before, but because media outlets and analysts and people who do what I do, uh, some of them being very good friends of mine, start ranking teams for the coming season minutes after the last season is over. It's really hard to avoid a sort of groupthink setting in that leads to a consensus by the time we get to the preseason polls that quote unquote matter. And of course, I think the AP poll matters most of all. There really is no solution. The AP will always release a preseason poll because it is popular. And I would also argue that it is a simple way to save to history the story of a season. I understand that the expectations set by preseason polls can seem artificial, but I think more often than not, they are, if not precisely accurate, at least reasonable and help fans follow the sport. The most notable result of the coaches poll was Texas coming in at number 18, with one coach placing the Longhorns number one. And no, Texas coach Steve Sarkeesian is not on the voting panel. That is the show for today. I'd like to thank my producer, John Radcliffe, for making me sound good. You can find this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and just about anywhere you like to get your pods. Please follow so you do not miss an episode. We are clear of the conference previews, heading, barreling, in fact, towards a regular season. If you have questions as we barrel toward the season or we... Even when we get into the season, that you would like my guests or myself to answer, email them to AP Top 25 Mailbag at gmail.com. That's AP Top 25, the digits 25 mailbag at gmail.com. We would love to hear from you on all topics, college football, serious or silly. I'm Ralph Russo, the college football writer with the Associated Press. Thanks for listening and come back for more next week of the AP Top 25 college football podcast.